let me get the script. Good idea. <coughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Otherwise, I have no idea what I'm talking about. That's the case anyway, but <laughs> <laughs> for both of us. It's Friday, June 10th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and 1922 Committee Member. And with me today is uh, Gordon Derrick, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Drenched Camping Survivor. Mm. Yeah, Gordon, what on earth were you thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't... Well, I wasn't thinking of it, actually. It was a family weekend, so I'm blaming other people for this. But yes, um, I went camping... Uh, over the uh, Whitsun weekend, being at the Pinkster weekend. And, uh, yeah, you know, for the last uh, three or four weeks, I think, we've had this um, you know, almost no rain at all. There's been talk about the, the worst drought since the mid-1970s. Yeah. So, of course, as soon as I put a tent up, guess what happens? <laughs> it absolutely chucks it down. And, uh, yeah, I was over in Offerijssel, uh, luckily not in Brabant, uh, where they actually had flooding. Um, but I was just a little bit further north of there. And, uh, yeah, for about a couple of hours on Sunday evening, just absolutely, yeah, just, just sat there underneath the awning of a tent, watching the mm. rain sort of cascade off the uh, off the roof and, uh, yeah, get, 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 feeling thoroughly miserable. But uh, Was it raining the entire time you were on no, the campsite? No, it campsite? wasn't. No, it was, to be fair, I mean, it was, it's kind of funny. We were there from uh, Friday till, um, well, actually till Monday morning. Um, and on Sunday, the rain was, for, it was forecast to rain all day originally. But actually, it didn't start raining until about five in the afternoon. So we, had, we managed mm. to have a full day out and go for a walk and do some nice things uh, before. But when, when the rain came, it was a real proper downpour. So yeah, it was, and, and, and yeah, the tents got soaked and the ground got soaked. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it, 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 it got quite cold. So we just sat there, you know, as, as in, in that classic picture of people on Dutch campsites, just sort of sat there, <laughs> co- all, all huddled together uh, underneath uh, in, in, in the tent, drinking wine and, and, and watching the watching this cascade of water. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 and watching uh, in. Commercials on t- TV because there was uh, nothing else to do. But nothing else to do. Yeah, so, yeah I wasn't watching uh, Emil Rattlebunt's new series. I have to say, <laughs> thankfully, but um, perhaps I should have been because it turned out to be more entertaining than um, uh, it was uh, uh, than it was billed. Um, uh, Emil Rattlebunt, uh, who uh, is uh, uh, the, the, the guy who, among many other things, uh, tried to have his age legally turned back thirty years so he could go on Tinder. Um, he's now had With a more success. Series. Yeah. And we know that success, good, good, good publicity stunt, um, and uh, had uh, had a documentary series made about his life and his three marriages and his various expensive cars, and now he's suing the makers because he says it's too negative about him. So, yeah, which yeah. is uh, and it's probably just depicts him as he is. And <laughs> exactly, yeah, 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 it's probably just too accurate for his uh, to do. Um, but once again, Paul, you, you seem to have been uh, living uh, this, uh, <laughs> vicariously in London uh, this, uh, this week, and you've joined the 1922 committee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I wasn't even aware there was a thing, but yeah, it's uh, oh, everybody yes. started to talk about it. I was like, what, yeah. what is it? And yeah, it was uh, quite interesting. Uh, no, uh, yeah, Boris Johnson uh, had a motion of no confidence, um, uh, was facing a motion of no confidence. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, he, uh, he, he won it. Uh, he's yeah. still prime minister. He but still has the confidence of he still has the confidence even though it's uh, less
less confidence than uh, Theresa May had when she had this uh, vote of no confidence and all these ministers back then uh, called on her to resign because it was uh, so much uh, she was so damaged she couldn't possibly uh, yeah. go on and all of a sudden that this, this didn't apply anymore to their no. prime minister uh, funny how that works funny how that works yeah exactly it was exactly the same people as well who, who argued that uh, Theresa May should stand down now said that Boris Johnson didn't need to yeah, uh, and my, my absolute. So, so on Monday, uh, uh, it emerged on Monday morning that uh, uh, th- this group of uh, Tory MPs had written this letter. Uh, I, I believe fifteen percent of of, uh, of Tory MPs is required for this m- um, uh, vote of uh, no confidence uh, uh, to be triggered. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, it was it was very exciting uh, the entire day on Monday. Will Boris Johnson survive this motion of no confidence? Well. Uh, he did, but my favorite detail was that uh, you know all these journalists, all these correspondents rushed to 10 Downing Street to you know take their st- uh, stand across the street from this famous door, and uh, it turned out uh, they uh, they hadn't um, uh, put down the decoration for the Jubilee weekend. Oh, yes. uh, <laughs> down. So all these all these decorations were still there as if they were having a party, which yeah. was of course uh, ironic because you know <laughs> this entire uh, motion of no confidence thing was prompted by Partygate. Yeah. Uh, and it also kind of looked like as if the people, you know, uh, uh, um, responsible for the decorations uh, were celebrating this, um, uh, the chance that uh, Boris Johnson might leave office. Mm. Uh, but he's still there. And my other favorite detail was that the outcome of the, of the, of the vote was um, uh, 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 f- for, uh, what was it, 211 uh, versus 148 and yeah. it turned out that the bus stop in front of the uh, <laughs> Palace of Westminster yeah. serves bus lines 148 and 211 so yeah exactly, we just yeah. had to uh, take a look at the at the bus stop there to to uh, to see what the what the outcome of the of the vote would be yeah. Uh, so yeah it was um, it was it was a fun day on Monday I, yeah, I just kept uh, refreshing my Twitter feed to see if there was any news yeah there's a lot of drama wasn't there I have to say yeah. when even the buses uh, stopped minute between the truth then you think the writing's <laughs> on the wall for Boris Johnson yeah. so yeah. yeah and he has of course a history with buses because he, exactly, uh, yeah. uh, he, he has put some uh, questionable uh, party slogans on sides of buses and oh, there's a questionable uh, Brexit slogan I think on the bus that was the, the yeah yeah, yeah, th- yeah. Th- that's what I meant sorry yeah. and, and, and he also all of a sudden uh, revealed that he has this very peculiar hobby of making uh, uh, model buses out of <laughs> wine crates or something yeah, yeah it's um, so uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, was an ironic twist of events again. Yeah, indeed, and perhaps he's going to have more time to concentrate on his hobby of, uh, yeah, fashioning wine crates into uh, model buses before too long. But uh, anyway, we'll the see. drama keeps going. Yeah, um, yeah, and the other drama that keeps going is um, <laughs> this, uh, yeah, d- 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 just continuing uh, shit show of. Um, uh, the w- 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 what's become labelled the horror ministry at least by this <laughs> podcast. So th- that is the op for the week uh, this week, Paul. Not for the first time. Uh, w- what's been happening? Yeah, uh, the op of this week is another chapter in the ongoing saga of the uh, of the horror ministry. The, in 2017, the ministries of infrastructure and foreign affairs moved into the Rijnstraat Seven building in the Hague, which is opposite of uh, Central Station. Mm. Um, uh, it was renovated by renowned architect firm. Uh, OMA, but as soon as it opened, public officials came with an endless stream of complaints about the building. Uh, for example, the climate system didn't seem to work. Uh, in, in winter, it was too cold. In summer, it 
was too hot. There were not enough workspaces uh, and the flex plaque concept meant the ministry's employees had to undergo some sort of hunger games every morning to, to fight for a spot. Yeah. And on top of that, the designer staircases were very dangerous and multiple public servants were injured after they fell from the stairs. Mm. Um, the building was described by uh, some of the public officials as a horror ministry, uh, but despite all the problems, uh, the building was awarded with a prestigious architecture prize. Um, you say that as if those two statements are contradictory. But. Yeah, no, no, they are. They are fully, <laughs> fully, <compatible. laughs> fully logical uh, nowadays that a horrible building wins uh, wins an architecture prize. Um, shouldn't though but uh, yeah that's uh, that yeah. always seems to happen a couple of years later concerns were raised about the applied floor system safety and as a precautionary measure meetings with more than six people were no longer allowed uh, it was also forbidden to stack more than half a meter of paper next to printers and bizarrely of all dance parties at the <laughs> ministries were banned as well so so no so nobody's getting ambushed by cake no the, um, <laughs> <laughs> there's no possibility of being ambushed yeah. by cake well yeah. if you are not in a meeting with more than uh, six people at least right um so as long as it's a work event is that what you're saying as long as it's a yeah. work event you yeah. can be uh, ambushed by cake and uh, remember at the time it was staff block who was a minister the minister of foreign affairs back then yeah. so uh, i immediately imagined staff block walking around the ministry as a sort of dolores umbridge uh, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 looking for for dance parties and yeah. um uh, uh, breaking them up. Um, I, I thought you were going to say you imagined Seth Block kind of moonwalking around the ministry. Well, that, that was from a second imagination, and it was even worse than that. So, yeah, no. I, uh, <laughs> and uh, the building uh, came into the news again this week after the Telegraph revealed the ministry had bought 60 telephone booths to provide public servants some privacy during their phone calls because, you know, there was no privacy at all in the building. So they thought mm. that was a good solution. But I wanted to ask you, uh, Gordon, what do you think the 60 telephone booths has cost yeah um well you've written it into the script yeah so <laughs> <laughs> do a guess so, make a guess so i have the answer in front of me but again yeah, 60 <laughs> telephone booths um i would think maybe that would be i don't know um they should cost a maximum of about sort of maybe five thousand each so what's 60 times five thousand like sort of thirty thousand yeah. That would seem reasonable. Yeah. Well, turns out they cost 127,000 euros per booth. <laughs> so that makes a total of 7.6 million euros for these. Wow. Yeah, I, I have also included a photo of them. Um, th this does not look like it should cost anything uh, as much as a uh, as, as the newest uh, Mercedes E-Class, does it? No, no. not at all. <laughs> it's uh, just, no. It's certainly got a lot fewer... Uh, features in the newest Mercedes E-Class. Yeah, I think so too. No, it's... Um, when I saw this, I just... I had to laugh out loud, but all the, uh, soon after that, I had to cry because it just, just seems to be a, a waste of money. I mean, it's almost as, as much money we wasted on Sirit van Linden, uh, <laughs> but I'd rather give it to him than, than, than for this uh, 60 yeah. booths. Uh, and my, my favorite part of, the, of this entire story is that one public servant was quoted by uh, the Telegraph as saying that this is the Kafka-esque icing on the depressing cake that is our building. I mm -hmm. thought it was a very, uh, he put it very nicely there. Yeah. 
This week, farmers uh, got some bad news from Nitrogen Minister Christiane van der Waal. Racist police officers will face tougher sanctions. Rotterdam will be governed by a very unlikely combination of parties. A plan to ban fireworks failed in Parliament. The Peter Erdevries murder trial has started and a record number of people have reached the age of 100 in the Netherlands. Mm. Nature Minister Christiane van der Waal has warned that the government will have a very tough message about the need to reduce nitrogen-based pollution. The government's full plans will be published uh, today, but some have already been leaked to NRC earlier this week. The newspaper writes that nitrogen pollution will have to be cut by 70 or 80% in some parts of the Netherlands to comply with a court ruling. Uh, in May 2019, the Council of State ruled the government's strategy for reducing excess nitrogen was in breach of EU directives on protecting vulnerable habitats and following the ruling thousands of building projects needed to be put on hold and the government had to take emergency measures such as reducing the daytime speed limit on motorways from 130 kilometers an hour to 100. The government has now chosen a regional approach for its long-term strategy but the paper writes that this will lead to major problems in parts of Gelderland and Noord-Brabant. These are the provinces where livestock farming is mostly concentrated and the amount of livestock will need to be drastically reduced and it seems inevitable that some farmers have to be bought out in order to shut their operations. Yeah, so it's a very long-running saga, this uh, nitrogen uh, business that goes back to a council state running a few years ago. Can you kind of just outline uh, for people who haven't been following it that closely um, exactly you know, why it is such a big issue? Yeah, the, the, the net, it's basically a population density problem, I think, in the Netherlands. Uh, mm. we, we, it, we have uh, a lot of people living here. We have extremely intensive farming uh, uh, and livestock sector in the Netherlands. And we all need to, we also have some nature areas, of course, and yeah. we are all competing for, for space. So it's uh, the population density of cows and pigs, basically. Yeah, that's as well also as enormously yeah. high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and also people, uh, uh, everything is too high here. Yeah. Um, but these farmers, the, uh, they emit uh, nitrogen-based compounds such as ammonia and nitrogen oxides and these uh, uh, emissions can have disastrous effects on the, the on the biodiversity of nearby nature areas. Nitrogen tolerant plants will outcompete more sensitive plants with negative effects to insects, birds, fish, birds of prey, yeah, you name it, uh, yeah. the entire natural uh, uh, world basically. Yeah. Uh, and in 2019, as, I, as we already mentioned, the Council of State ruled that the government wasn't doing enough to protect vulnerable habitats, which are often located next to these heavily polluting uh, uh, farmers, but also next to uh, roads or uh, industry. These are also, uh, of course, emitting um, uh, nitrogen-based uh, pollutions. Yeah, uh, and, and they're all kind of identified. There's a whole sort of European Union-like map of these nature zones, right? Uh, that, that yeah. The, 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 the thing they call the Natura 2000 areas that governments yeah. then have to protect. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and again, the Netherlands has a lot of them, relatively mm. a lot of them. They're, they're, they're all relatively small, and that means that they are uh, also relatively uh, easily affected by um, nitrogen-polluting uh, um, uh, places. So, yeah, it's, again, it is a, a density problem, uh, mm. uh, uh, I think. Um, 
but yeah, thousands of, of building projects had to be put on hold after this court ruling. Uh, you know, we had lots of uh, lots of other problems. It, that is, of course, um, also a major reason why uh, why we have so uh, why we have a housing shortage, for example, because oh. you know these these building projects were put on hold basically for months and months. Um, and when a new government took over, a specialized ministry was even set up to deal with uh, with the uh, nitrogen crisis. Um, uh, if you want to know more, because it's all very confusing, of course, it's uh, it's, it's a complicated uh, issue. Uh, mm. Dutch News has uh, written a, uh, a a special article that explains everything in detail. And if you uh, want to check that out, um, there's a link to that article in uh, in the liner notes. Yeah, yeah, and the government also, as we're saying, the new government that came in. Uh, at the start of this year, set up a, I think, a 35 billion euro fund uh, to, uh, to um, yeah, for projects to cut nitrogen pollution. Um, but uh, because of the, uh, when the war in Ukraine started and inflation started going up, and they needed to find money um, to, uh, you know, to, to, to to cut things like um, uh, petrol prices uh, and to tackle inflation, the first thing they cut was this fund to tackle nitrogen pollution. So, yeah, and, and to no fund the military left. as well. And to fund the military spending as well, yeah. all things that, of course, are quite high-polluting activities. So, yeah, yeah, they're in a bit of a bind, really, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, yeah. and it is, uh, the, the plans will be, uh, will be, will be uh, published, uh, uh, presented uh, later today. Uh, yeah. As we are recording this, and then we will know everything in detail. But yeah, it seems inevitable. You know, it's it's been a discussion for years now. Uh, farmers definitely do not want to, you know, uh, uh, lose their lose their farms, of course. But yeah, mm. it seems inevitable that um, that some of them uh, will need to go. But yeah, remember, uh, the Netherlands is the largest exporting country of meat in Europe. Mm. Um, the Netherlands is the second largest producer of uh, fruits and vegetables in the yeah. world. Um, if you just consider how small we are, uh, you know, do we really need to uh, have such a um, uh, uh, yeah uh, enormous uh, meat and 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 uh, agricultural sector? Do we really need that? I think yeah, no. To have this kind of high intensity farming, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because so, the argument of the farmers is that, uh, the, is that the Dutch agricultural sector is very well regulated, and if we if if we now uh, cut our agricultural sector, then uh, other countries will develop who who aren't so well regulated and um, so modernised, and so actually p- pollution will get worse. But uh, yeah, that's right. But yeah. yeah, if everything is concentrated in the Netherlands, I mean, yeah. um, it, 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 we we uh, I would almost say we are an European Union. You can just move to every other country here, uh, <laughs> you know, on the continent. Um, if you really desperately want to uh, to 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 stay a pig farmer, then uh, go somewhere else. I think. But yeah, it's. Yeah. Um, it's a problem and it's a real problem and uh, some parties have tried to deny it uh, but there's no point in doing that uh, i'm looking at the uh, boer burger beweging uh, yeah. especially and yeah, in 20 as well i think they yeah in 2022 yeah. they want to scrap the nitrogen fund altogether um to you know to, to, to fund more uh, weapons for ukraine and uh yeah, counterinflation measures yeah it's, um, uh, it's going to be a tough uh, pill to swallow but yeah it's uh, it's it's something that we uh, really must do it's going to take years to untangle this problem um and there's another problem down the same kind of uh, region brabant and limburg as well because they're being uh, businesses there are being uh, left in the dark what, yeah what, what's going on there 
Yeah, the, it turns out that the electrical grid in these provinces uh, yeah, has reached its capacity. They, it have, has been under pressure uh, because of the rapid rise in heat pumps, electric car charging stations, uh, new companies and increasing use of uh, electricity in industry. Uh, so all these things that are desperately needed for this climate uh, transition. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah we, we can't do that anymore because uh, yeah, we reached uh, the capacity in, uh, in in the electrical grid. Um, Robieta wrote this to the uh, Tweede Kamer uh, earlier yeah. this week. Um, and the electricity network has simply reached its limits. Uh, it's operating at full capacity, leaving no room for new commercial customers who either want to buy or supply energy. Because remember, if you have some solar panels on your roof and you mm. produce more electricity than you need, then um, initially you, can ju- you could just supply it to, to to the uh, electrical grid and get some money out of it but because now so so many people have uh, solar panels on their roofs um, that's no longer an option we even have to we even have to turn a lot of them off when it's sunny because yeah yeah, we are producing um, uh, uh, more than we actually need producing too much electricity yeah 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 um, requests for a more extensive contract by commercial customers will also be put on hold in these provinces, but private households will not be affected. So yeah, uh, but yet, uh, but it seems that this uh, this is uh, probably going to happen uh, in the future uh, as well. Uh, the yeah. provincial authorities and uh, employers organizations Veno and CW have called the situation unacceptable, and also environmental groups are uh, unhappy. They are worried that this will have consequences for, yeah, as I already said, the energy transition and uh, now the country is rapidly switching from uh, natural gas to uh, to uh, renewable energy sources um, yeah. natural natu- <coughs> national grid operator tenet had warned earlier that the dutch electricity network should be expanded more quickly and energy transition goals uh, will not be met because new wind and solar farms uh, will not be able to be connected to the grid so yeah, yeah. Even, yeah, uh, so even it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of the, the the law of unexpected consequences at work, isn't it? You, you have this energy transition. It turns out that uh, it overloads your electricity network. Yeah. So yeah, and there's no way to uh, currently no way to store this excess energy. So uh, yeah, hopefully there will be uh, found a solution really soon. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, uh, but yeah, that's uh, still. Uh, uh, not likely that it will happen in the near future. No. And also, um, 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 this is just now for only for Brabant and Limburg, but it is expected uh, that we will see similar problems in other provinces too. This is just yeah. the first, um, yeah, the first provinces that are uh, uh, experiencing this. Uh, it yeah. will uh, definitely um, lead to m- more problems in the rest of the country too. Yeah, and yet at the same time, we're being warned of uh, an energy shortage and a gas shortage uh, in in the winter because of um, Russia cutting off the gas supplies. It's all it's all quite bizarre. Yeah, it's a, on the one it's hand, we're producing times, too much yeah. and more energy than we can actually store and use, and on the other hand, we're being warned that uh, we might we might be facing shortages in a few months' time. Yeah, and uh, the, uh, now there's also talks about reopening uh, 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 the gas fields in Groningen, of course, yeah. because of this uh, this uh, this pending shortage. Um, it's also something that seems to be inevitable now. Uh, Russia has has cut their supplies uh, to the Netherlands uh, as well, even though it was only fifteen percent. But uh, yeah, it's uh, that's still uh, yeah, and it's not all of that fifteen percent either, because some of it is still being supplied through indirect channels or yeah. to municipalities. So yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah, it's um, again strange times. Police officers who display racist behaviour will face tougher sanctions in future, including potentially dismissal. 
The acting head of police, Lisbeth Hauser, told NSA in an interview that the days when racist officers got away with a stern chat with their boss and an apology were over. The stricter approach was agreed at a meeting of 80 senior police chiefs at the weekend. They published a declaration pledging to be a police force for everyone, and they said anyone who crosses the line will feel it. It will always result in a sanction, always, and if necessary, dismissal. Yeah, and, and, and what, what exactly prompted this culture change, which, which sort of uh, resembles the, 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 the uh, admittance of the belasting deans that they are, uh, they were institutionally racist, right? It seems yeah. uh, that that has been tri- that has triggered this, or, or, or I, is well, I don't think else? it's a coincidence. That these two things have happened at the same time, definitely. But I think uh, in the police force, this has been sort of rumbling along for a long time. It's just taken, uh, yeah. Th- there's been a lot of denial in the past, and it's uh, it, it's taken a few instances, I think, for the dam to burst. Um, one of which was uh, was a couple of weeks ago. There was a documentary broadcast uh, called "The Blue Family," and it was. Um, um, uh, produced by an organisation called uh, Control Out Delete, who uh, kind of tackle racism, um, and it was it, it focused on about half a dozen officers from minority backgrounds who sat in a hotel room and told the story of their police careers, which were basically being blighted by racism. One of them was a former inspector, and they said they'd uh, they'd experienced discrimination throughout their careers. Um, starting off, I think the, the the inspector said that he'd someone had taken his picture and uh, drawn some drawn some uh, cell bars on it and said, "This is our." monkey in a cage it was yeah. that kind of uh, level and they all said in the end they'd ended up to leaving quitting the force uh, leaving the police service and uh, um, in one case uh, to, to ordering his children not, not not to not to follow in his footsteps um, uh, so, th- so that was one thing I think and that caused certainly quite a few shockwaves um, uh, ab- about, uh, the, ab- about the scale of racism uh, in the police uh, three years ago as well a, a former policing coach and member of the Diversity Council Carol Boers quit after complaining that line managers uh, systematically turned a blind eye to racism and discrimination and there's also been things like the recent case of five officers in Rotterdam who were uh, sharing WhatsApp groups uh, which were uh, where the messages were full of racism uh, racist and uh, derogatory terms um, uh, about uh, um, uh, 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 black and minority people. Uh, Rotterdam's divisional police chief, Fred Vesterbaker, said he was shocked by the remarks at the time, but he also let them off with a written warning because he said they were good cops who had said sorry. And yeah, Mm. the the feeling was Mm. that was nothing like good enough and it was uh, time that we stopped uh, um, uh, um, uh, burying our heads in the sand when it came to racism in the police. Was there something else that came out of the interview? Yeah, Hauser said that more broadly she wanted to just change the what she called the hard and masculine culture in the police force and said there had already been progress towards recruiting more women um, and also people from other career paths, um, uh, what in Dutch known as Zeitinstromers. So you, you don't start your career with the police, you do something else like, uh, I don't know, uh, teaching or whatever and then decide in your 30s or 40s for a career change and um, uh, th- th- there's a route into the police for people who didn't do the training college. She also gave an example that police shouldn't just promote officers who carry out spectacular arrests but also recognise other forms of uh, excellence like community officers who work to bring people together. She said society has changed and so have our norms. Yeah, so so <laughs> previously the norms were... <laughs> Racist, yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, I think the, the, the whole kind of <laughs> macho culture. Here, right? Yes, I think it's the same. This whole kind of macho culture of uh, you know of, of, of uh, uh, police officers strutting about with their with, with their guns showing has, has to change, and uh, 
yeah, it has to become more inclusive. And also, it's about the fact that a lot of uh, they need to recruit more from minorities. I think that there's a target of having 35% of police recruits should come from ethnic minority communities. Because at the moment, the police have no have very little contact with um, uh, you know, people in minority communities other than when they arrest them, which obviously creates a bad image on both sides, uh, which exacerbates the problem. Did you hear um, uh, one of the solutions the Amsterdam police came uh, to tackle racism in the police force? Uh, what was that? If yeah. they want to stop and search a person, uh, yeah. you know, r- r- uh, that, that's of often linked to, to uh, racial profiling, right? Yeah. Uh, but now they, uh, the, the, the police officers will carry a digital dice Mm-hmm. Um, and they will just roll the dice and then this okay. one will say uh, uh, if they're going to uh, stop and search this person or not and uh, that uh, is uh, uh, an idea uh, by Amsterdam Mayor Femke Halsma and it is uh, yeah, their way to prevent ethnic profiling I'm not entirely sure how it works I'm not convinced <laughs> that it is so, yeah. a good solution Did they actually roll the dice in front of the person they stopped so they sort of stop and say right we're going to play a game now or something yeah, I, think it is, I think it is a a digital dice so i think it's it's i'm sure they have <laughs> so a special device carrying with them and yeah. then they just press a button i assume and then uh, yeah this this i'm not even sure how it looks but i i suspect that there is also a uh, an animation of the dice actually rolling and yeah. Uh, yeah when when they can stop and search it um um, 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 this device will tell them, but yeah, it's uh, right. led to a lot of uh, ridicule and criticism, especially by the right-wing parties. Yeah, 21 VVD. Uh, it sounds a little bit ridiculous, but yeah. Yeah, and it uh, kind of misses the point that it's not about that you should randomize stopping and searching, but you should just make it more intelligent. Because I mean, the problem with stop and search is often police stop people in the street based on whether they think they are likely to be um, yeah, offending or could be yeah. a crime in that moment. The problem is at the moment the police have said the fact that you are black is seen by the police as a, as, as a risk factor and it shouldn't be. They should be actually looking at your behaviour and you know where you've come from or where, you've, or, or where you're going or if you're in an area where, lots of, where, where there's high crime. Um, or, or, or just, no, they should just be using more intelligent uh, 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 measures of, poten- of potential risk. At the moment, what you have is that you know, the, 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 I remember there was a, a situation where there was um, a group of people set up a, um, a mobile phone distribution company where, where all the staff were Asian and they drove around in cars distributing mobile phones and the police of store saw uh, you know, three Asian guys in a car and stopped them. And they actually just meant it's impossible for them to do their job because they're being stopped about sort of five times a day as they were just going about doing their job. That, that's the problem with, with, with ethnic racial profiling. It's nothing to do with whether or not you should randomize it. Yeah. You should just be more uh, aware of, of the fact that, you, that, that seeing ethnicity as a risk factor in itself is, is plain wrong and counterproductive. Yeah. yeah. It has to be said that um, this uh, digital dice comes from a headline of the Telegraph, so I'm not right, entirely okay. sure so if it's, it's actually true, a dice. Yeah. The, com- the police calls it a, a selection computer, which also yeah. sounds a bit worrying, I have to say, but okay. Uh, and the police said that they are uh, the, the first uh, evaluation has led to uh, only positive um, uh, uh, results. So yeah, it's, uh, that's in contrast to... Uh, the uh, ophef um, it it caused uh, uh, in the uh, city council of Amsterdam. Yeah. 
Sadly, there is no majority in parliament for a total ban on consumer fireworks. GroenLinks and Partij voor de Dieren had teamed up and written a legislative proposal, but during Wednesday's debate in the Tweede Kamer it became clear it doesn't have majority support. The two parties said the advantages of fireworks no longer outweigh the disadvantages. I have never seen any advantage in that, I have to admit, but okay. Um, these disadvantages include personal injuries, damage to properties, and the stress it causes to pets and wildlife. Yeah, but on the other on hand, the they make people go ooh and ah, so you know, yeah. that's, I guess that's the advantage. <laughs> Well, even that, I mean, uh, consumer fireworks is always so disappointedly sad <laughs> true, that, yeah. you know, I never never caused an ooh and an, or an ah uh, from my part, I have to say. Um, in the Netherlands, only on New Year's Eve, from 6 p.m. to 2 a.m., fireworks are allowed in the Netherlands, but Parliament is not interested in increasing the ban from 8,572 to 8,580 hours a year. Mm. Uh, the opposition parties, VVD and CDA, opposed the total ban, along with SP and the parties on the far right, saying that the current ban on large fireworks is enough. Uh, last two years, fireworks were banned because of coronavirus restrictions, and some MPs first want to see how a normal New Year's Eve proceeds with the new rules before taking further actions. Uh, despite the ban, fireworks caused 10 million euros in damage to private properties uh, last year, which insurance companies said was similar to years without coronavirus measures or a firework ban. Yeah, and everybody seemed to have ignored uh, all the restrictions that were uh, yeah. last year, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it was just uh, business as usual at the uh, emergency services. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, and everyone has probably had a had a whole stock of fireworks uh, from the year before that they needed to let off. So yeah, that's that's uh, that's. I assume that uh, that was the case. Yeah, yeah. Which is um, worrying because it shows that a lot of people have you know fireworks, explosives in their house in store. Yeah. Um, for 12 months which is probably yeah. not the safest way to uh, to store them but okay probably um, not yeah um yeah and, and speaking of fireworks uh, there's uh, been uh, there's some real potential for flashpoints on uh, rotterdam city council right because uh, something interesting's happened there yeah, the uh, Rotterdam municipality is said to be run by a very unlikely combination of parties. VVD and CDA uh, have agreed to form a coalition with none other than right-wing populist party Leva Rotterdam and immigration party DENK that has a strong base in uh, voter base in the Dutch-Turkish community. Uh, the four-party coalition uh, holds 25 of the 45 seats in the city council uh, following the uh, municipality elections in March. Uh, the development is curious because Leva has a history as an anti-immigration party. It still is, I think. Uh, it rose to prominence in the early 2000s under Pim Fortuyn's leadership, who described Islam as a backward culture and wanted to abolish the constitutional ban on discrimination. Uh, probably because he wanted to call Islam a backward culture. Yes. Um, Leifar has always been popular in Rotterdam and was part of the city government from 2012 to 2017, but was kept out of power last time despite winning the most seats. Rotterdam is expected to announce its government today. A lot of things uh, uh, announced today, uh, yeah. I have to say. Yeah, yeah nice so yeah, pollution. Yeah, nitrogen yeah. pollution and uh, Rotterdam's new uh, 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 yeah, in, in Congress city council. Yeah, yeah. Now it's a very unlikely uh, situation, and uh, um, 
I, I wonder how this will turn out because if if this coalition is going to be successful, yeah. which it seems it will, because you know the, both these parties seem to be very uh, enthusiastic about uh, uh, about this coalition. Then yeah, uh, yeah no, w- w- what what uh, what will we see more in the rest of the country? Will we have a a, a Denk Ja 21 coalition <laughs> next time in the Tweede yeah. Kamer? Who will, who knows? Yeah, well, what's the most likely possible combination? Yeah, maybe the CDA will team up with uh, Partij van der Dieren or something. Yeah. In, in Brabant, the, the possibilities are endless. Especially when, yeah, you've got 20, yeah. when you've got twenty different political parties uh, in, yeah. in, in your parliament, um, it, yeah, it, it, it will it, complicate. It will complicate our predictions uh, a lot uh, <laughs> for 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 coming elections because you know usually we just say, well, these two parties will never will never team up uh, because they are so far apart. But you know, if these unlikely combinations become a real um, a possibility, then you know uh, we, we will. Uh, uh, we will have a hard time predicting what will happen because you know yeah. uh, there's so many uh, so many possible outcomes then. Yeah, but but, but Denk have, have, have had a few um, uh, troubles lately, haven't they? Because the, the, their party leader Fried Azakan, um he faced a lot of criticism at a party conference. Um, I think last weekend, uh, journalists weren't invited. It was a closed doors party conference, um, and I think he faced eight critical motions, including a no confidence motion. Um, yeah, uh, but but he, he but he survived by uh, 148 <laughs> against 211. I, I don't so. think there were 211 people to vote <laughs> on it, to be honest. But uh, yeah, he, he did. But 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 he seems to have come under attack, and the, 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 there's a feeling that, uh, that from uh, the, the the rank and file membership of Denk that they don't have any saying how the party is run and they need to change the constitution. Um, so on the one hand, Azakan I think, has said that going into government in Rotterdam shows that the party is maturing and is, is ready to take responsibility. But on the other hand, it's, you know, it is still a party in its infancy in terms of its uh, leadership structure because basically the three MPs um, all decide everything within the party yeah. and, uh, the, and, and the voters or the members aren't happy with that. And uh, Tuna Honkusu, who is a Denk MP, of course, is also yeah. in the city council of Rotterdam. So, yeah, it's, yes. uh, 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 it seems to be a little bit, you know, like uh, almost like the, the, the PVV and the Forum for Democracy are doing. They just uh, ha- only have a small pool of people they trust and they put them in all these places. And I think if you, are, if you want to be a, a really mature party, then you have to avoid... Uh, you know, having uh, uh, having these officials with uh, with all these uh, uh, positions, with all the yeah. same positions, yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. You need to avoid this kind of concentration of power in a few individuals, yeah. otherwise, uh, yeah, uh, you're going to progress. Um, yeah, and um, yes, yeah, someone else who's oh. um, not who's been making slow progress lately is uh, former legal protection minister Sander Decker, who's uh, been involved in quite a nasty accident uh, this week, right? Yeah, it was a pretty uh, remarkable story, I have to say, uh, when it yeah. came out. Uh, former legal protection minister Sander Decker was seriously injured in a fall from his racing bike in the dunes of Monster near The Hague on Tuesday evening. Turns out a woman uh, he was passing by grabbed him by the arm as he uh, uh, was on his bike, and that caused him to fall yeah, very heavily, very severely. And it was immediately clear that he was very badly injured, and emergency services moved him to the hospital. Uh, the Telegraph writes that he has uh, broken his ribs, collarbone, pelvis, and he has other injuries as well. Um, he is sta- he is stable though. He wasn't in uh, in danger of his life, mm. um, uh, and he is uh, slowly recovering. At the Telegraph writes this morning, the 42-year-old woman was arrested and taken into custody for causing the accident. Uh, she was initially suspected of attempting uh, manslaughter, but she was released on Thursday because the allegations were uh, reduced to uh, serious. Uh, 
assault. So yeah, yeah it's yeah. a strange story, and it has also prompted a debate among, um, uh, uh, you know, in the media, but also on social media, mm. about um, uh, speed cyclists and how they should behave in, um, uh, you know, on the roads. Uh, yeah. They often cause um, dangerous situations because you know they their goal is to cycle as fast as possible on the road, and that's uh, often incomparable with uh, traffic rules and with uh, mm. you know other people taking part of traffic. Uh, but you know it, this uh, the debate ha- is turned around because you know this time it is just a pedestrian who caused the accident. Uh, seems to be deliberately uh, instead yeah. of a cyclist. So yeah, the. Um, it's um it's uh it's an uh, annoying debate i have to say it's uh, yeah and, and also out on the cycle path in the dunes where i think you've got a bit more space to uh, to, to go at speed than uh, maybe yeah to, to, um in, in the middle of a city but uh, even so yeah yeah there, there does seem to be a lot of kind of uh, uh, um uh, people piling in and uh, blaming the victim on twitter and saying yeah. this is uh yeah seeing this is an opportunity to have a go at racing cyclists rather than yeah. you know, people who d- d- deliberately pull them off their bikes which I, seems to be uh, the person who is to blame in this instance but uh I think so too. Yeah, apparently it is yeah. impossible to hate cyclists and to uh, think that um, uh, Sonne Decker is uh, is not the guilty party in this uh, particular incident. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, well, wish him well because it sounds like uh, that was uh, uh, yeah, he's pretty uncomfortable at the moment. It was not the first so. time he was involved in an accident, though. No, it's remember not. He's been that in he was other cycling accidents before. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that he was in Parliament with two broken arms uh, at one instance. Uh, he was standing there with uh, with his two arms in a uh, uh, how do you call that in, um, in a sling? That sling. Yeah, with two yeah. slings. So yeah, that's uh, yeah. that was <laughs> was a remarkable image. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it seems that he is even worse. Life is full of unlikely partnerships, Leif by Rotterdam and Denk, the Dutch weather and camping, or our podcast and your money. But they have a happy knack of working out, and it's thanks to your donations that we've been able to keep bringing you the latest news, political developments, and ophefs from here in the Netherlands. So this is a moment to say thank you to all our loyal patrons, and if you're a regular listener, why not uh, sponsor the podcast as well for as little as a euro, a dollar, or a pound a month. It really does make a difference, and uh, as a reward, you get a shout out on the next episode and the chance to ask us a question anytime. And uh, we do enjoy asking your questions, so please uh, uh, s- uh, submit them. Uh, we didn't have any questions this week, although somebody was um, asking us about uh, the latest state of the queues at Skippel, which um, I think uh, the answer is uh, they're still terrible. So <laughs> yeah. t- 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 People... try, try not to fly, although I, I realize if you're trying to get from the States to Europe, um, there, there isn't really any other uh, way, because e- even now, it's still slower to go by container ship although I think the margin is shrinking <laughs> yeah we're, uh, it, 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 some say that people who started queuing last uh, episode uh, are yeah. still waiting in line to, uh, to to get to the airport so yeah don't um, uh, uh, lower your expectations because uh, it's still a mess there and uh, it yeah, will be for, going to be for the quite whole some summer. time yeah, yeah. If you want to become a supporter of the Dutch News Podcast, uh, go to www.patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Dutch News NL. Prosecutors have demanded life sentences for the two men accused of carrying out the murder of journalist Peter R. de Vries in Amsterdam last July. Delano Gey is accused of shooting de Vries dead on Lange Leidse Dwarstraat as he left a television studio, while Camille A. was said to have been the getaway driver. 
On the first day of the trial, the court was shown a police reconstruction of the two men parking a silver Renault Kadjar car beside a canal. A man identified as Delano Hay then took out a gun, put on a hat and a black face mask, and sat waiting for De Vries to walk by. Then five shots rang out, and De Vries was shown falling to the ground. The prosecution say that the assassination was linked to De Vries' involvement with another ongoing trial, the so-called Marengo trial, in which alleged drugs boss Rido Antaghi and 16 others are accused of arranging a series of gangland killings. De Vries had been an advisor to a crown witness in the case, Nebel Bey. Uh, Nebel Bey's brother and his former lawyer, Dick Viersum, have also been killed uh, by gunfire in the last couple of years. The trial will continue next week, and a verdict is expected on July the 14th. Uh, yeah, and uh, there were also some uh, emotional statements by De Vries' uh, children uh, in the trial, weren't there? Yes, his, his son Royce and his daughter Kelly both gave uh, very uh, emotionally charged uh, victim impact statements. Uh, Kelly De Vries told the defendants they would go down in history along with her father, but they will say my father was a hero, she said. And yeah. Royce said he had originally wanted to express his anger and grief to the suspects and uh, touch a nerve, but he concluded it was totally pointless because they had shown an unparalleled disrespect for life. Uh, De Vries's children and his girlfriend, uh, Tachmina Akefi, have asked the court to award them almost €400,000 in compensation for their uh, grief and loss. Yeah. And uh, the uh, Openbaar Ministerie has demanded a, uh, a, a, a life in prison for the for the two murderers. Uh, yeah, for both for both the murders, that's true. Yes, yeah. and uh, um, yeah, which, which is kind of a, a, a pretty standard these days. And I think obviously for people who remember back last July, this is a very high-profile killing. It took place in, in the early evening when uh, the uh, Amsterdam city centre was quite busy with people um, thinking about and yeah, to, just to pull a gun on somebody in broad daylight, especially somebody as high profile as Peter Edefries, uh yeah, can, kind of gives you an idea of um, you know how, how um, yeah how, how, how sort of ruthless these drugs gangs have become in Amsterdam. And it's, uh, yeah. it, it was a really shocking case at the time, I think. Yeah, it really was shocking. Yeah, I think um, um, the the impact this murder had. I mean, um, um, when the first uh, you know he he left uh, the, this television studio, he was shot uh, uh, near one of the busiest uh, uh, squares in in Amsterdam, mm. um, and I think within 15 minutes almost everyone in the country knew that Peter de Vries was shot right it's so yeah. so so high profile this man was and everyone knows who he is I think turns out that I never realized this but Peter de Vries is literally the most common name in the Netherlands but you know yeah. because of uh, 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 if you if you call his name Peter Er de Vries which he yeah. always you know he always added this uh, his middle name um, everyone knows him Every, uh, I think his his name recognition is 100% in the Netherlands. Yeah, he was. Yeah, everyone kind of knew his name, his face, and he was a, um, a, a regular. Yeah, there was no accident that he was leaving a television studio at the time. He was. He went on a lot of talk shows, and uh, he was a very uh, familiar kind of media talking head. Everyone's favourite football tournament returned this week as the Netherlands is took it, on. Is it the Nations League? It is. It is. Oh. You guessed it. You guessed it's the Nations League, <laughs> the UEFA Nations League. Now, yeah. Do you know what stage the competition has reached, Paul? Uh, um, <laughs> I know it's a very complicated system. <laughs> uh, 
so I think the the semifinals is probably uh, yeah. uh, they they probably don't even have semifinals because it's too complicated. No, I don't <laughs> know. I don't know what they do. Really don't no, it's, know. No. Well, it's, it's at the crucial League A Group Four stage, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's that, that, that's where the, the 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 Dutch are playing, which I think means that they're in the the because it's divided into divisions and subdivisions. But basically, yeah, the, the Dutch are in the top group or the the, the the tops of echelon which is league a and then they're in group four which is just a group a numbered group a randomly drawn group but it's seeded as well anyway they were playing wales now wales are kind of the um the boo boys of um uh, world football at the moment because they beat ukraine last ah, week and uh, that they yeah. ended ukraine's dreams of being playing in the world cup in it's not Dubai done in to, to beat ukraine uh this time of year no yeah yeah. So, so yeah. So, so after Scotland, and then that's, it's particularly um, grievous for, uh, for people from Scotland because our team rather obligingly uh, let, uh, uh, played terribly against Ukraine, so they beat us in the semi-final. Yeah. But then Wales went and beat them in the uh, in the playoff final. So that means Wales are going to play in Dubai in the World Cup. Although I think you know, I mean the Ukrainians have probably seen enough death and destruction lately, so perhaps they don't, a trip to Dubai, you know, <laughs> is, is something they should have been spared. So perhaps Wales yeah. did them a favour. Yeah, that's right. Um, anyway, it was it was the Nations League as he rightly uh, uh, adduced and the Dutch won uh, they beat Wales uh, in Cardiff thanks to an injury time header from vaccine refusenik uh, Wout Weghorst okay. uh, it's the first time that Wales have lost a game at home uh, for, for three and a half years it also means the Netherlands top uh, group four of League A with maximum points from two games and their next match is against Poland uh, on Saturday evening in Feyenoord Stadium in Rotterdam wasn't it the case that the Dutch uh, uh, team uh, consisted of names that nobody has ever heard of. Uh, yeah, Louis Carl said he kind of put out a B team. He was yeah. an experimental team. Although, I mean, he did bring on Frankie de Jong as a substitute in the second half. So Yeah, the, there were there were yeah. better known names, but I, I yeah. saw someone on Twitter joking that it almost looked like um, uh, he was playing one of these football games that didn't uh, have the licenses to use the actual name, so they yeah. just put together <laughs> some random Dutch names. And, and that, that, that is what it resembled. And I, uh, yeah, I, I didn't recognize any names i thought it was just me but uh it it, it, it wasn't no it wasn't most of the big names are missing i think uh he, he gave them a game off uh yeah we'll have to see whether they um yeah put out first team against uh, poland on saturday but uh nations is one of those things that no one takes seriously until they suddenly realize they're in the late stages and they suddenly think oh look we've got a chance to win a trophy just like a conference league just like uh, we have a conference league yeah, yeah. and that yeah. brings us to to rotterdam because uh, finally we will see a european match in uh, being played in the Cup, right? Yeah, we will, but uh, that's something that Feyenoord fans are not going to see for a while because um, they've been banned from um, attending uh, the next home European game in Dachau, and that's uh, because uh, UEFA has uh, handed them a punishment for letting off fireworks in the, both legs of the Conference League semi-final against Marseille. Uh, the club has also fined seventy thousand euros, and that's the eleventh fine that Feyenoord have been hit with this season from UEFA. Most of all, most of it because of their fans' behaviour hmm. before and after games. Uh, they also rioted before and after the quarterfinal against um, uh, Sparta Prague uh, when they were also hit with the seventy thousand euro fine. Altogether, Feyenoord have been fined nearly half a million euros now this season, um, which is uh, which could have bought them a player or two, given that they're on a very tight budget. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, so please behave. And um, yeah. um, um, w w didn't they? Um, uh, did they also destroy a Bernini fountain this year, or did they? Uh, uh, the, the, behave I, I think. Uh, well, I think some like a nineteen. Uh, a couple of police officers ended up in hospital in uh, in in uh, Tirana, in the, the, mm. the uh, capital of Albania, where they played the final uh, against Ars Roma. Yeah. But, um, 
in a stadium yeah. that has the same capacity as Nac Breda Stadium. So yeah. that uh, that shows how uh, how uh, prestigious the uh, the Conference <laughs> League really was. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's funny because the UEFA administrator after the game he said he, he he was surprised that so many people wanted to go to the Conference <laughs> League final. That's they 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 they, they gave it to that stadium because they thought that no one would turn up. And then suddenly two clubs with quite large fan bases, Feyenoord and Asper Roma, got to the final and they had a problem. Yeah, no they really had the a fans. problem because uh, <laughs> they, they, these are fan bases of very notorious uh, 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 clubs, I think. Yeah, uh, especially Feyenoord, sadly. Yeah, so, and and yeah. and but Marseille is also not. Uh, well, no, this uh, is Rome. They played Roma in the final. They oh, that's right. Yeah, so I don't think Roma's fans are squeaky clean either. But uh, yeah. <laughs> at the least they Rome don't clubs. destroy Benini fountains. Uh, yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, but away from uh, from football, there's also some news again about speed cyclists. Uh, yeah. Tom Dumoulin announced that he's going to uh, retire. Yes, uh, at the end of the season. He said this uh, on an Instagram post. He said this is going to be his last season in uh, cycling. Dumoulin, I think, is now 31 or 32. Uh, I should Did have checked that before I uh, before I wrote this uh, news news item, shouldn't I? Well, Anyways, wasn't it, Dumoulin, wasn't it- didn't he already uh, announce his retirement a couple no, of years ago? No, he, he said he was going to take a break from cycling. Oh, um, yeah. uh, I think two years ago. Um, he, he wanted to come, after the Olympics. He took a break from cycling. He said he wanted to con- contemplate his career, but he's now said he's he, he's going to give up at the end of the season. Um, he, uh, he he's had quite a few uh, injury problems over the last few years. He crashed in the Giro d'Italia in 2019 and had to take the rest of the year off. Um, then he came back, managed to win silver. Uh, a silver medal in the Tokyo Olympics in the time trial event uh, but he's now said on an Instagram post that uh, that really kind of took up all his energy just uh, getting fit enough to win that silver medal and he's been plagued with problems with injuries with fatigue and just a general burnout and he's decided that competitive cycling is um, is not for him anymore he was kind of the great hope of Dutch cycling fans for a few years who were hoping he'd be the successor to Job Zoetermelk who's the only Dutchman who's won the Tour de France which I always think is quite a startling thing for a country that's so obsessed with Tour yeah. cycling uh, that only only one Dutchman has ever won the race, uh, the the biggest uh, tour cycling race in, in uh, the world. Uh, especially Dumoulin, because the Netherlands is also a hub of of of, of drug uh, uh, crimes. Exactly. So, yeah, yes. Yes. Think, so two uh, reasons why they should be outstanding in the Tour yeah, de France. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dumoulin did win the Giro d'Italia in 2017, um, and that year he finished second in the Tour de France, his best ever result. But when he came back after his injury, he kind of been eclipsed by his Jumbo Fisma teammate, Primoz Roglic, um, who was uh, uh, finished second in the Tour two years ago when Dumoulin kind of uh, served as a domestique. Um, he said he wasn't sure what he's going to do next in his career, but um, uh, and he thought that his love of the bike meant it would still be connected with cycling in some way. Although you have to say that Tom Dumoulin is also a pretty handy 10k runner. He, he ran a 10k race in Maastricht last November and finished second and in a time of 32 minutes 38 seconds, which for oh, a non-specialist God athlete is pretty good wow yeah yeah i just uh i i, I ran five kilometers the other day in uh-huh. 25 minutes or something yeah so uh he's yeah. almost half as uh double as, uh, fast, as, as fast as you yeah it's pretty yeah. quick i mean my my best time for 10k and this is going back a while <laughs> but i did manage to do a 10k in 37 minutes and 20 seconds on oh time. wow that's, uh, yeah that's also and, impressive uh, yeah, but so uh, yeah, but but this is five minutes faster than that, so yeah. it, it really is pretty speedy. It really is. Um, didn't 
Tom Dumoulin once lose a race because he had uh, he had to take a shit. <laughs> uh, probably. <laughs> I think. Did he actually lose the race, or did he go? Yeah, he did, just didn't win it. So yeah, that means yeah. He, he he lost it. No, I think he was he was he was ahead. I think he was. Uh, it was one of these speed races, right? Where they just uh, clock how uh, you know yeah, like, they, like they, a time uh, trial basically. A time trial. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, and I think he he, he had a um, yeah diarrhea attack or something. So we had to I stop. Th- yeah, and, I think uh, you're right. I think uh, yeah, th- yeah. Th- th- that did happen. I think about it. Th- th- yeah. That's just something I. I um, associate with him but i'm not entirely sure <laughs> yeah so like a paul radcliffe also had to stop doing london marathon one time and uh, take a toilet break but she still won so ah. <laughs> success story <laughs> the netherlands is getting older and older and grayer than steph block's wardrobe apparently because some 2600 uh, people have reached the age of at least 100 and that's an increase of 400 compared to 2017, according to uh, figures from national statistics agency CBS. The increase comes despite the impact of coronavirus, which uh, especially affected elderly living in res- residential homes. Zeeland has the most centenarians per capita, while Flevoland, a relatively new province, has the least. And I think, uh, yeah, you, you don't get old in Flevoland, I think. or No, um, no not... Uh, yeah, you'd want to. Yeah, if you're going to have a long life, you wouldn't want to spend it all in Flavorland, would you? No, you'd, you'd move. <laughs> yeah, you move. Yeah. yeah. Um, the CBS expects the number of over 100 in the Netherlands to have topped 3,500 in the coming decade. Uh, the oldest resident in the Netherlands is Abeltje Boekema Hut, hmm. which uh, is a very is Dutch s- name, I have to say. Yeah. It kind of sounds like a Dutch name crossed with a Star Wars name, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> or one of these names that uh, 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 unlicensed football games uh, put yeah. in there, <laughs> so, uh, put on the playing field. Um, she lives in Lake in Groningen. I think Groningen is one of these places that you know uh, everyone is so old. Uh, yeah. They are all over 100, <laughs> at least in my imagination. Um, Abeltje is 110 years old, and so so she's the oldest people person living in the Netherlands. Yeah. Um, so um, when I r- saw the article on DutchNews.nl, uh, in the headline it said the baby boom after World War One, and I was like, wait a minute, did we have w- the baby boom is after World War Two? This this must be mm. a must be a uh, a mistake. But uh, apparently we also had a baby boom after the First World War in the Netherlands. Right, that's uh, that's surprising because the Netherlands didn't actually fight in World War One. No, it was a neutral country. Yeah. So yeah. So um, yeah, strange. Uh, yeah. Or maybe lots of people moved to the Netherlands and had children. I don't know. That could so. be yeah. a lot of Belgian refugees came to the Netherlands. But um, now now I come to but think but of they it, they all I'm sent home sh- again, though. Yeah, I'm so. not sure if they all went home or, did, or some of them stayed. I'm not entirely sure. We uh, have to look that up. Yeah, yeah. But but certainly, there, there, I mean, there has been throughout the whole 20th century. There was quite a startling population boom in the Netherlands. I think in about 1890, Scotland and the Netherlands had roughly similar populations. But by the turn of the last century, Scotland still had just over 5 million, and the Netherlands had uh, 16 million, which has mm. now grown to 17 and a half. So. It's the same with Belgium. Belgium, yeah. uh, um, um, before, uh, I think at the start of the 19th century, uh, Belgium had more people uh, than the Netherlands, uh, and now Belgium still has the same number of people living there, yeah. and while the Netherlands has you know, 17 and a half million now. It's about twice as many. Yeah. yeah. 
That's uh, all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us now on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. <laughs> Earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to uh, Gordon Derek, and we'll be back next week. Thank you.